an official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are doing well. I sincerely hope it's sunshiny and glorious and beautiful where you are as you're listening to this episode. But where I am as I'm recording it, it is gloomy, it is dark, it is spooky, and it's only like 3 p.m., but it feels like it's midnight. And it's just, you know, it's been a tough one to get through today, a tough day, because even if it's gross weather outside and you feel like your mood is very, very much tied to the weather, like me, you still have things to do. You still have to get things done. You still have to, you know, bop around town and do things even though it's just disgusting outside. I'm like, it is what it is. It could be worse. At least I have been inside for most of the day getting a lot of stuff done in prep for the holidays. I'm trying to get so many things out the door. It just feels like everything is on top of each other in terms of plans and due dates and it just feels like chaos. So amidst the chaos, I wanted to sit down and I wanted to share some stuff with you guys on the pod, of course. I actually, given that it's kind of a spooky, weird day, I was just, you know, in the mood to tell a story. I think that gloomy days where you just want to dive under a blanket and escape the world, a story is the perfect medicine. It's the perfect thing to get you through a tough day or a chaotic period of time if you're also feeling the stress of the holidays and everything weighing on you. This is a good episode for you. I have a very interesting story. It's a little bit twisted. It's a little bit scary. Or not scary like horror, but just kind of a mind fuck, honestly. This whole episode is a mind fuck, really, because today we're going to be talking about memory. You know how they say 90% of the world's oceans are unexplored or like something like that, some crazy statistic? Like, you know, there's been a lot of exploration done in the world's oceans, but still so much is unknown. And the same goes for the brain. And even though there's so many experts out there that have done years and years and years and years and years of studies on the brain, there's still so much mystery. And a lot of that mystery has to do with memory and how our brain stores things, how our brain loses things. And so I was really interested in that. And our story today has to do with that. And also just a couple of questions that were really top of mind as I I was seeing some stuff on social media this week and reading in the news. You know, two questions were just top of mind. Why do we remember what we remember? Like those things we remember, why do we remember those things? And why do we forget what we forget? Like why are some moments that you think, considering the gravity of the moment, you'd remember every single minute detail, but you don't? So why? Like that was my question. And I want to start out with a story. So buckle up, this one is kind of crazy. So it was the early hours of August 31st, 2004, and a Burger King employee in Richmond Hill, Georgia, found a man, unconscious, 
naked, and sunburnt, laying behind a dumpster of the restaurant. When they examined him further, they saw that he had three depressions in his skull that appeared to have been caused by blunt force trauma, and also he had red ant bites all over his body. They had no idea how long the man had been there, but he was in pretty bad shape. So after discovering him, the employees called an ambulance and EMS took him to a hospital in Savannah, Georgia. This man had no ID, nothing to identify him on his body, and so he was recorded in the hospital records as Burger King Doe. After the incident, no criminal investigation was opened by Richmond Hill Police. There were no reports of stolen vehicles in the area, and local restaurants and hotels did not encounter any individuals matching this man's description, so it didn't seem like there was any funny business happening. Two weeks later, he was transferred to Memorial Health University Medical Center, where records state he was semi-conscious. He eventually said that he remembered his name was Benjamin, spelled with two A's, so B-E-N-J-A-M-A-N, but he said he could not recall his last name or anything else about his life prior to waking up in the hospital. He came up with the surname Kyle because, remember, he doesn't know his last name and Burger King is where he was found. Burger King Doe is what he was called. So he went with the BK initials, Benjamin Kyle, because he didn't know anything else. He was found with cataracts in both eyes. And luckily, nine months after he was found, a charity raised enough money to pay for eye surgery, corrective eye surgery. So he got to see himself in the mirror for the very first time. And upon doing so, Benjamin realized that he was about 20 years older than he thought he was. He said, I saw an old man in his 60s with gray hair and an aging face. Not only did I not know my own name, that day I saw the face of a man I didn't know. Imagine, imagine that one day you get up, you go about your usual morning routine, you make your coffee, you get dressed for work, pack your bag and walk out the door and imagine that you simply disappear that day. You're found unconscious. Sometime later, you've been beat up, your clothes, your wallet, all forms of ID are gone. You don't recall your name, your job, your address, your family members, if you even have any. You know, it's just terrifying, I'm sure. Memory is such a crazy thing. So back to the story, still not knowing who he was, a massive gap in his memory, Benjamin, upon being released from the hospital, spent several years between the Grace House men's shelter and hospitals because he didn't have ID, he didn't have a social security number, like so many things. He didn't have the ability to just, you know, carry on with his life now that he was better and out of the hospital because he didn't know what that life even was. In 2007, while at the J.C. Lewis Health Care Center, he met a nurse who first inquired about his past. And this nurse was truly Benjamin's guardian angel because she or he or they helped support Kyle financially while he earned about $100 a month doing mostly yard work because that's really the only work he could get. And mind you, he is older. While driving his truck in a yard, Kyle discovered that he still remembered how to drive a car. He was diagnosed with disassociative amnesia in 2007 by a doctor in Atlanta. A friend contacted Georgia Congressman Jack Kingston for help with the curious case, and to help with Benjamin Kyle's identification, Kingston's office sent DNA samples to the FBI's National Criminal Justice Information Services Division. Wow, it's a long, long division name in West Virginia, and later this would come in handy. So in 2011, so it's been now how many years? Like seven years since he was found outside the Burger King by the dumpsters? So 
In 2011, with help from Florida State Representative Mike Weinstein, Benjamin Kyle was able to obtain a legal, government-issued Florida ID, which was huge. Kyle's story appeared on a report on News 4 Jacks, which caught the attention of a local business owner who subsequently employed Kyle as a dishwasher. So lots of kind people involved in this story thankfully helping him out. As of January 2015, he lived in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, in a five-foot by eight-foot air-conditioned shack provided by a benefactor. Again, another kind person. Though I did find some other reports that said he was homeless for many years and was in and out of shelters and things, so maybe the shack wasn't like a long-term solution. I'm not really sure, but he was just really going through it, unable to get a job because he didn't remember his full social security number. And so because of that, several online petitions were created asking lawmakers to grant Benjamin Kyle a new social security number, and he became America's most famous amnesia victim. He was reported about a lot. In 2012, an online petition was created um, on whitehouse.gov trying to get him a new social number, but when its deadline expired, it only received two-thirds of the number of signatures that it needed to receive an official response. So it didn't end up happening. But here's an interesting fact, though. In 2015, February of 2015, so he was found in 2004. This is 11 years after he was discovered outside of the Burger King. Forensic genealogist Colleen Fitzpatrick, which Interestingly enough, I actually, in my sorority in college, there was a girl named Colleen Fitzpatrick. Very funny, but a different Colleen Fitzpatrick, not a girl in my sorority, a forensic genealogist, was working with Benjamin to try to figure out who, like his lineage, like using DNA and trying to trace his family tree. But he cut off all contact with her just as she felt she was nearing a breakthrough, which is very curious. And if you're like me, you're listening to this story, you might, part of you think, is he lying? Like, is this real life? Does he really not remember anything? Or maybe he's trying to escape a life he wasn't very happy with or what have you. But I don't know if any person would go through all that trouble just to be homeless and really struggling if they could just go back. I, I don't know if he was in too deep or what, but operating upon the belief that he is telling the truth, which many people that worked closely with him that doctors, people that analyzed him and did brain scans and all of the above, the people that helped him out, they believed he was telling the truth. So we're going to operate with the belief that he was being truthful. But no one was able to really find out exactly why he chose to cut ties with Colleen, the forensic genealogist. According to Colleen, she believes that he just wasn't that interested in finding out his true identity. And my thought is maybe he was just scared about what he would find out about his true self. Like, a version of himself that no one seemed to know, even though his photo was being blasted everywhere possible, like no one came forward and was like, that's my brother, that's my son, that's my friend, like no one did. So I don't know, that just sends shivers down my spine. It makes me sad. But a DNA test finally revealed that Kyle, Benjamin Kyle, shared significant amount of DNA with members of a family named Powell in the Western Carolinas, descendants of a 19th century man named Abraham Lovely Powell. On September 16th, 2015, so 11 years after the Burger King discovery, Kyle announced that his real identity had been found, including identifying his name and close family members. He said, through a process of elimination, they determined my ancestral bloodline and who my relatives were. A DNA test taken by a close relative has confirmed that we are related. All internet sources I've found say that he at least attempted to connect with his family, but I'm not really sure how that went. Like, I couldn't really find any other evidence. He had created a Reddit profile and had posted some stuff like Benjamin himself had posted on Reddit trying to get his story out. And I didn't see any recent posts from him. I mean, he is an older man now, so it doesn't seem like there's anything public about him reconnecting with his family. But 
he said this. He said, you'll find a lot of people who say it's all bogus, that I'm faking it for whatever reason. But one thing is for sure, I'm not getting rich out of it. I'm 64. This is back in 2012. I'm trying to get on with my life as best as I can. I figure I've got 10 more years to live considering my social and economic bracket. So 10 years from 2012 is literally now. I can't make any long-term plans other than trying to get along mostly day by day. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So this story, it's wild. It's kind of sad. I'm happy he, in the end, did find out his, you know, his lineage at least and who he belongs to in terms of his family. It leaves a lot to question, but regardless of whether it's true or not, we can all agree memory is a really, really crazy thing. Like there's still so many question marks surrounding why and how we remember, and it still puzzles experts to this day. So I'll say it again. Why do we remember what we remember and why do we forget what we forget? And while I was diving into this and thinking about the things that I remember, like I made a little list of things, like random things that I remember clear as day from the past. This is my short list. I remember my mom's first license plate numbers, like the exact numbers on the back of her minivan from when I was a kid. Well, the reason that I remember is because I had to like really drill this into my mind as a kid because my mom had a green minivan. And for some reason in my neighborhood, so many moms had green minivans. So in order to not be embarrassed and get in the wrong minivan at like school pickup, I had to memorize my mom's license plate numbers. So that was out of necessity. Like that is why I remember that. But I also remember all of my best friends' landline phone numbers because, you know, back in the day, not even like back in the day, but back in the day for me and for many of us, we had to memorize these numbers. We wanted to call our friends and ask if they could play, you know. I remember the night that I made my YouTube channel. In 2009, it was December 27th, 2009. I remember what my mom made me for dinner that night. It was two days after Christmas and I was sitting in my red dining room, like it was painted red. My mom decided to paint the entire dining room red for some reason. And I was sitting at the table. I remember what the table looked like. I remember what I had just eaten, chicken cordon bleu. And I remember like every detail about making my YouTube channel which this was in 2009. I remember my first kiss. I remember every single detail. I remember what I was wearing. I was at church camp. The guy's name is Harry. I kissed his chin by mistake. Like I remember the room I was in. I remember what it looked like. There were like wooden plaques in this room. The whole room was wooden. There was a stage. I remember I was standing on like the sixth or seventh step up. It was like a riser, but it was like a carpeted riser room. I remember everything about that. But there's so many things I don't remember. I don't remember anything from math or science class. I don't remember any scientific equations or any numbers really at all. Like I'm very bad with numbers apart from like my mom's license plate number and my friend's landline numbers, like very oddly. This is interesting. I don't remember the first name of the first guy I went on a date with in New York. Like this was four years ago and I don't remember his first name. (laughs) Like Who was the first guy I went on a date with in New York? I don't remember. Where did we go? I don't remember. My first kiss was like 10 years ago and I remember every single detail about that. I guess it was 
obviously a more momentous moment, but my very first New York City date, I don't remember anything about that or like my second or even third date. Like maybe if you refreshed my memory with some details, it might come back. But right now sitting here, it's like my brain deleted that memory. You know, and I guess I've been on a lot of dates since and I didn't see those ones really going anywhere, I guess. But why can't I remember anything about it? I remember a lot of things that I've seen photos of, like it comes back when I see a picture. But am I remembering that moment or am I just remembering that photo? You know, photos and videos, they really bring me back. But why? How? Like, I have so many questions about that. And I really first started thinking about all of this when I saw this one TikTok. So if you guys know that show Sex Lives of College Girls, I love Sex Lives of College Girls. So you just released season two. I like can't stop watching it. I think they post episodes every Tuesday. And I love this show. Like it just brings me back from college, but it's such a good show. Even not being in college anymore and being out of college for like four years, I'm still so into it. And one of the actresses who is also a singer, Renee Rapp, she is also, like I said, a singer. So she performed on The Late Late Show with James Corden. And in the TikTok, she showed a clip from her performance. And then after she said, people always ask me what it's like when I perform. How does it feel when I perform? And she says, I black out. And then she says it again. I black out. Like, it's a blackout, (laughs) which is interesting because you'd think this huge moment in her career, you'd remember, just in anyone would remember more details, but she doesn't remember and it just happened like last week. Something interesting that I saw on Reddit when I was poking around trying to figure out more about this, it said, taking photos instead of just viewing a scene. So you're in a place, you're taking a picture versus just being there and not taking photos. Causes your brain to outsource the memory. This causes you to not retain the information as detailed as you normally would. This is called the photo-taking impairment effect. Isn't that interesting? So there was a study where these people were taken into an art museum and taken on this guided tour of an art museum, and they were directed to observe some objects and then photograph others. Results showed a photo-taking impairment effect. If participants took a photo of each object as a whole, they remembered fewer objects and remembered fewer details about the objects and the objects' locations in the museum than if they just observed the objects and did not photograph them. And honestly, I think this makes a lot of sense because when you're taking a photo, it kind of allows you to take a little bit of pressure off your brain to take a mental photo, if that makes sense. Like instead of using your own personal energy to remember something, you're like, okay, the camera will remember it. Like the memory of the camera will take this on instead of my own personal memory. Really sends your brain into like a twisty, tangled little pretzel, doesn't it? Like thinking about all this stuff, like what we have to go through to remember something or even if we have any control at all. So anyway, let's continue. You guys know I'm not done sending your brain for a loop. Like I told you, this is going to be a mindfuck of an episode. So there's this other thing that I was reading about called the Zagernik effect or Zygernik. I think, I don't know, it's Z-E-I-G-A-R-N-I-K effect. And it's the tendency for tasks which have been interrupted and uncompleted to be better remembered than tasks which have been completed. Which honestly makes sense. I think it's the stress kicking in, like those things you didn't finish. You're going to remember that over the things that you have done. Like you're not going to triumph over the things you've completed. You're just going to stress about those things that you haven't done. So you're going to remember those. So 
Bluma Zagernik in 1927 first saw this effect in waiters, who seemed to remember orders only so long as the order was in the process of being served. And so right after it was delivered to the table, they promptly forgot about the order as soon as it was finished. Like, you know, they just cleared it from their brain. And that kind of reminds me of when I was studying for things in college. Like I would only remember things like I would cram and study and I would remember things for the test. And then almost like immediately afterwards, I wouldn't remember anything, which is not great. Like, obviously, I was just trying to get through school. I wasn't really trying to utilize a lot of the information because some of it was like math and science and I'm not a math and science gal. It's crazy because now that I actually like learning and researching for the podcast, I remember all these things because there's passion in what I'm doing. You know, it's not something I have to do. But I remember like, yeah, I'd study for a test. And as soon as I took the test, all the stuff that I'd studied and thought about and, you know, pressed myself to remember and made acronyms and all that stuff was just forgotten. So there's something similar called psychic tension. So once someone completes a task, this relieves the psychic tension. And therefore, this person can release whatever they were holding so tightly onto in their memory. And the person no longer uses significant cognitive brain effort to remember the task. It's just like, you know, when you're carrying something heavy and you don't need to carry it anymore, you put it down. It's like your brain does that too. The heavy things that you just don't have any passion or need anymore. Like once you don't need it anymore, it's gone, it's done, which honestly is just like, I think an evolutionary tactic, like a survival skill that we possess. But this made me think, honestly, a lot about ad testing. And back when I worked in corporate America at a big beauty brand, I remember when we were launching new products and we were gearing up for the launch of the product and like creating all the assets that would help promote it and like figuring out ads and like what things should be shown in the ad and how big the mascara tube should be in order for people to recognize it and remember it and all that stuff. I remember that people would always say, this wasn't my department specifically, but like those people that were in charge of the product would be like, oh, this ad tested better than that ad or this ad tested really well. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And essentially, I mean, if you guys work in advertising, you know this or really A lot of people know this, but when you're trying to launch a product or you're creating ads or whatever you're making ads for, it's smart to get this target audience, like a sample of your target audience in a room and ask for feedback on the ads. Like, what is your first thought when you see this? Like, you can run ad tests on an entire ad or just specific aspects of it and you get feedback from that. And obviously, you choose the ones that get better feedback because you can kind of assume that the target audience, like even this small sample of people will kind of react similarly to your customer. So that's another thing. Like, what, you know, memory, how do we remember ads? How do we, like, what things are memorable? And there's really no way to know unless unless you kind of get out of your bubble because as an advertiser, as like a product creator, like you're so in the tunnel vision, you think your product is amazing, but it could be totally forgettable to someone that doesn't spend every day with it. So back to selective memory or our brain deleting specific moments from our memory, even recent memory, even moments you'd think you'd never want to forget. Like when you ask a couple who's gotten engaged recently, like, I say to my friends that have gotten engaged, I'm like, oh, what did he say when he got down on one knee? Like, what did he say in his little speech or whatever he did before he asked you if you will marry him? And a bunch of my friends have said, I literally don't know. I blacked out. And when I hear this, I often think, wow, this is a very important moment. And you blacked out. Like, 
was it because you were so surprised? Like you were in shock? You were shocked that it's finally happening, even if it's purely like a positive shock? Or was it anxiety about the moment? Like it might feel like you're losing your mind or something is wrong with you when things like this happen, when you get up and you give a speech or a toast or an entire concert, but fully black out in the moment. But I found some interesting stuff. So according to Dr. Ira Fischler, a psychologist who specializes in cognition, learning, and memory, this blackout is probably not a loss at all. It's more likely that you didn't even make the memory in the first place, Dr. Fischler says. When memories for specific emotionally laden events appear to be lost, he says, it's more often because our attention during that event was not on the interaction itself. Instead, I'm going to have this entire piece linked, it's common for a person to focus on how they are presenting themselves or on their internal emotional state during the interaction, especially during stress-inducing moments. And let's not forget that stress isn't always a negative thing, like positive stress. Even if you were like waiting for this day to come, you're so excited about this thing, you're so proud of yourself, like you can still feel stress. You know, positive stress is the type of stress response that we feel when we get excited. Positive stress can also refer to those times that you might respond well to a challenge that you experience from a negative stressor. So like you responding well to this negative thing, like maybe you had this stress that he would never propose or that you would never have a concert. You would never be on a talk show. You would never get the opportunity to do something big and it happens, but you still have stress even though you're proud of yourself and you're happy or you're thrilled that this is happening. You can still have this heightened emotion and this stress. So when getting engaged, you might maybe, I don't know, have this deep down negative stress that you kind of are harboring about, like, is it going to happen? Will I be prepared? Will I be wearing the right thing? Will I have my nails done? Like, would it ever happen? Like, there's so much stress that comes with these big happy moments that ultimately end up being a happy moment for a lot of people. But leading up, you could be stressed and that might, and it does affect your memory. And I was watching this documentary on Netflix about, actually, it was really interesting. I don't remember what it's called, but it was about the Innocence Project, So if you just look up Innocence Project, you'll see it. I think it's called Innocent Files or something like that. And it's a really interesting documentary. And I learned about this concept in this documentary called Weapon Focus, which in the eyewitness memory field, so trying to remember a crime or, you know, you saw, you witnessed a crime, like you were involved in a crime and you're trying to recount what happened, like weapon focus can be a major issue in criminal cases. And I'd never really thought about this, but if you consider it, you know, if you're being robbed, you might be like laser focused on, which you probably will be, on the weapon, like on a gun or a knife or the perceived potential, like maybe there's a knife, maybe there's a gun, like you look for weapons. That is a survival instinct. I've actually talked about that, I think, like long ago, where instinctually, when you you feel like you're in danger, you're going to look for a weapon. You're going to look at the hands of the person to try to see if they're going to come at you. Like that is you trying to preserve yourself. So like you're going to look at that. You're going to look at the potential weapon. You're going to look at the weapon rather than the face or the build or the outfit of the person who is robbing you. Like you might remember those things, but you might also remember incorrectly because you're laser focused on the kind of weapon and where it is. Like, how are they holding it? How big is it? Is it facing you? Is it loaded? All those things and not on the biggest piece of the puzzle for solving the crime, the person who did this. In these cases, Dr. Ira says, the critical info you're trying to recall was never stored in the first place. So picture this, okay? 
I'm sure a lot of us have been in this scenario. You're meeting someone new. You're doing the typical pleasantries. You're exchanging names. And then you realize after having a conversation with this person and meeting them for the first time that you've totally forgotten their name, even though you met them maybe five minutes ago. This has happened to me so many times, more times than I'd like to admit, especially in college, like freshman year when I met so many people all at once. But it still happens to me now when I know everyone in the room already and I'm meeting a new person for the first time, like literally one person. Sometimes it happens where I forget their name like the first time I meet someone, even if I repeat it back to them and I say, nice to meet you so-and-so, like not always, but it's usually when I'm in a stressful environment. And like I said earlier, it could be a positively stressful environment, like my birthday party, I invited some people and said, bring a plus one. So I met some new people then. It took me a little while to be like, oh wait, that's that person's name. But like, if you could have, if you asked me like moments afterwards, I might be like, fuck, I don't remember. Like, (laughs) and it's crazy because I literally just met them. Why don't I remember, you know? And this is another example of weapon focus. Like we try so hard to remember like important things in that moment, but it leaves our brain immediately because maybe we're focused on other things, threats, like even not like a literal threat, but like it sends off this like threat response in our brains. Like, you know, you're looking around, something's happening or something's distracting you. Like you might not remember the important stuff because you're focused on something that could be stressing you out, like something that could potentially even very, very minor be kind of a threat in your mind. Like you're you're thinking about something, you know, it's interesting how weapon focus, I'd never heard of it before, before this Netflix documentary that I watched. We're not paying attention to the name Dr. Fischler said, and we're unlikely to give it that little bit of rehearsal that will make it memorable later, which explains why the name is, quote, forgotten within seconds. It's also that psychic tension again. You know how I said earlier with the waiter and with me forgetting after the task was done, it's like, Once you complete that task of meeting this new person, it relieves the psychic tension that's put on your brain to remember so you can kind of release it from your memory almost. And it doesn't feel like, you know, once you get through meeting someone, you might be really focused on how they're perceiving you. Like, that's how I feel maybe. Like, I think that's part of the reason why I might forget sometimes is because I'm so focused on the interaction and more so them liking me like even in that like five second hi nice to meet you I'm still so concerned about what other people think like that's just I mean it's something I'm trying to work on but you can forget some things that happen because you're just so focused on how you're presenting yourself and it's a task that you're completing like okay check I've met this person so it it kind of like it you know it escapes your mind because of that you know, once you complete the task, it relieves the psychic tension. And so you can release it from your memory and the person no longer uses or I no longer use that significant brain effort to remember it. Are our brains just lazy? Like I know there's a lot that goes on in there, but it's almost like I wish that I could sort my brain into like folders and I could have an important folder and put important things in there and not forget it. I think writing things down really does help me at least get things into my memory. Like I love that I have journals from over the years. I love that I have this podcast also, oh my God, that I've been able to speak it. I can literally hear myself telling a story and it'll take me back like years from now. It's the best way to document things. I think writing things down, I don't know if that has the same effect as the photo taking impairment effect. Like I wonder, I feel like no somehow. But you know, people say a photo is worth a thousand words, right? A video is worth a million words. It's kind of confusing to me. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten more comfortable with being confused because that just makes me want to look into things more and try to figure out more about it. But yeah, guys, I mean, like I said earlier, 
a lot of the brain is still confusing to even the people that are supposed to be experts. And that's just, it's just an interesting nut to crack, you know, like experts on the brain probably feel the same way as I do. Like they are confused and try to figure out more. And with every passing year, we're learning more. So who knows what we'll know in like 10 years? Who knows what we'll remember in like 10 years? That's for sure. Like, why do we remember the things we remember? Why do we forget the things we forget? It's just something to think about. So let me know what you guys think about all of this. I really love hearing your thoughts in the DMs. So feel free. I always read them. So let me know what you guys think of this episode and think of the really crazy thing that our brain is in the memory of it or the memories that our brains latch onto, the memories that our brains forget and the stress of it all. Because honestly, yeah, like take a shot every time I said stressor or stress in this episode. Like I think stress has a lot to do with whether or not we're making memories or whether or not we're going to remember those memories, you know? So anyway, write things down, everyone. Start a journal start a podcast. And that's my episode, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thick and Thin. I post every Thursday. Stay tuned till next week and I will talk to you guys then. Bye. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.